0: She's the writer of the rejected Netflix film, To All the Boys I've Beheaded Before, for any choice.
1: <laughs> and their poetry's answer to the question, How dare you? Dinesh Smith.
0: <laughs> and you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move.
1: There. Presented to you by the Poetry Foundation and Post Loudness. Hiya, Franny! Hello, <laughs> hiya, hiya! <laughs> You're so Minnesota. Sometimes oh, it's so funny. Don't
0: y'know? Oh, you betcha! My farts smell like hot dish. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting.
1: How's it going, Denise? You're cute today.
0: Thank you. You know, I have on a baseball shirt like I always do. <laughs> you do do a lot of baseball <laughs> shirts. I do do a lot of baseball shirts. You're you know, good in them. You got to have a couple of signature pieces. That's you know true. What I'm saying? Yeah, That's yeah. true. Okay, in the style book. <laughs> A Franny Choi, right? Like, the Franny Choi lookbook. Yeah, the Franny Troy lookbook. What are the signature pieces? Like, what is the <laughs> S-H-O-L-S?
1: Oh, Excuse Troy. me? What the, was that the, word? The I I don't know. I don't know if that's how you say Spelled that. Spelled <laughs> <laughs> Um, Signature Franny Troy pieces... Well, glasses, of okay. course, mm-hmm. of course. I don't know. I think, like, high-waisted anything, but, like, especially high-waisted black jeans. Mm. And I feel like I finally found the pair of high-waisted black jeans that I've been on my way to all along. Wait,
0: those joints you had on the other night? Yeah. Oh, those are some good jeans.
1: Thank you, girl. Thank you. He
0: was looking thicker than us, nigga, girl.
1: Ah! Things, mm-hmm. you know, putting on pounds in your late twenties. Yeah, hey. but like the good weight, the
0: good weight, you know, that grown weight, that like childbearing weight.
1: Ooh, mm-hmm. well, thank you. I do appreciate it. No problem. Um, what about you? What are your signature pieces besides the baseball shirt? Uh, well, I think my <laughs> I Cannot get over. <laughs> it's really the fact that like I've had like
0: these holes in my nose um, for a very long time. <laughs> oh, I see. And I feel like, very... I was like
1: your nostrils. Yeah, like, my nostrils. Yeah, nostril, yeah. I feel like you.
0: Yeah, these nose don't rings. Like most... I know, like most oh, people like this. have nose rings, but like I saw a picture of myself without them the other day, and I was like, "Who is this bitch?" It's uh, true,
1: you have had them for a but, while. And
0: I think the other thing is like nose rings, but also really like my rings. Like you know, I feel like yeah, normally wear a lot of rings today. I'm like keeping it casual, and I only have on one. Um, Do you ever go out without? my thought when I'm leaving the house with no rings on, I'm like, Oh great. Nobody's going to know who I am. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like if Beyonce like goes to target and like a big scarf and sunglasses to like conceal herself, then like me is just like, just no rings. And I'm like, Oh, nobody knows who I am. Wow,
1: (laughs) I do remember this one time that I performed without eyeliner in a slam and I did terrible. (laughs) I like dropped a line. It was a duet. i Fucked everything up so bad, and it was because I was just not convinced that I had a corporal form. That's correct.
0: Corporeal form. Is eyeliner (laughs) the key to you feeling like you have a body? It
1: used to be. Now it's brows. If I'm out of the house without brows I just feel like I'm astral projecting like I don't actually feel like I have a
0: body (laughs) I mean we all we all have those things that make us feel like cute and grounded yeah I think like you know our guest today the famous H-Melt like they talk about those lovely suspenders that they have that I think like when I envision H-Melt H-Melt is wearing suspenders yeah H-Melt is a poet artist and educator from Chicago they are the author of the plural the blurring the editor of the substantial and monumental Mm -hmm. uh, anthology subject to change trans poetry and conversation and a chapbook that is newly in the world called On My Way to Liberation that yeah. you should all pick up right now yeah. from Haymarket Books. They uh,
1: also are a uh, bookseller and curator of poetry events at the illustrious bookstore Women and Children First here mm-hmm. in Chicago. And their full length is dropping next year. Mm-hmm. So something to look forward to. Yeah. Let's get into our conversation with HML. Here's HML. Yay! new
2: intro? I've never, I've never, I always, I always get weird I about
0: know, these I, intros. I know, I like you introing.
2: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why? Because I'm bad at
2: it. I like your collaborative intros.
0: Okay. So we're in the studio right now with the one and only H-Mel. H-Mel, how you doing?
2: I'm great. How are you, Dennis I'm good, I'm
0: good. Thank you for joining us, blessing us with your gracious face and your suspenders. Of
2: yes. course. Hi, Franny. Always with the suspenders. Mm-hmm. Such good suspender game. It is a part of my look. I've told my therapist, if you see me not wearing suspenders, something is wrong.
0: <laughs> when did suspenders become um, suspended in your soul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone in the studio just gave Dinez a little, oh. like, we love you, but... Okay. And also...
0: <laughs> I can rephrase it. How long have suspenders been holding you
2: down? Oh, my God. They have I'm been so... holding my pants up ah. <laughs> um, for several years. I honestly can't remember... Pretty much, I think, since, like, I came out as trans, Mm -hmm. um, I've been wearing suspenders. Like, so much of of my look is attached to being myself and, like, being free. Mm -hmm. I try not to think about a time when I wasn't wearing suspenders. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from just, like, the
1: general aesthetic flyness, is there any, like, other significance that you attach to the suspenders?
2: Aside from matching and having, like, a really cute, queer, sort of, kinky part of... My outfit, I mean, and, and I, I didn't first start off wearing leather suspenders. Mm-hmm. I very distinctly remember when I bought my first pair of pink leather suspenders, mm-hmm. which I'm wearing today mm-hmm. at International Mr. Leather, IML, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which takes place in <laughs> Chicago every year. Yes, it and does. It, was, it was my first mm-hmm. time going to IML, which is this very, right, like gay, cis, white space. Mm-hmm. And I saw this pair of suspenders and Something about them just like completely drew me to them. Mm -hmm. I'd had like a very difficult relationship with like the color pink for Mm -hmm. a very long time. I never wore pink growing up ever. I I didn't even really wear that many bright colors Mm -hmm. when I started choosing my own clothing. Mm -hmm. But I saw this pair of pink leather suspenders, and the person um, who was working the booth was like extremely kind to me and just made me feel at home. Mm -hmm. And it's just a way for me, I think, to feel. Visibly queer and uh, to feel connected to my community when Mm. I may not be around them physically. Mm. Mm. For sure.
1: It's funny to hear you say that you used to not wear bright colors because that's something that I totally associate with you. Just that brightness all the time. And especially like pink. Mm. And your chapbook, which by the time uh, this episode airs will be out. Officially in the world um, is also very pink, which is so g- n- nice to see. This like bright pink, in your face pink. Chatbook. Can you introduce your chatbook for our listeners?
2: Yeah, my book is a lot about my journey towards trans liberation, mm-hmm. which is a constant, never ending journey. Mm-hmm. It talks a lot about some of the experiences I had when I was sort of first establishing my trans identity. The first half is sort of a lot about cis violence mm-hmm. and cis harm. And I transition away from that about two thirds of the way in to talk more about trans liberation and being around other trans people and what trans futures would look like mm. or what are things that would help trans people on the day to day to live their lives better and more fully. Mm. Is that transition from
1: thinking about violence to like trans futures? Is that a move that you've made like in your work over time or, or has has that always been the two things that you've been like? grappling with.
2: It's very recent. Mm. Uh just the idea of writing towards a future, just mm. thinking of mm. myself in the future. Mm. I think there's not a lot of examples that I've seen of trans people imagining themselves living towards any sort of future. Mm. There's so much thinking and discussion and conversation around the present moment, mm. but A lot of writing that I've been reading recently and like a lot of my friends who are poets especially have sort of been turning towards writing a little bit about how we can build better worlds Mm -hmm. and also doing that work in our organizing or in our teaching, in our day-to-day lives with our students. Mm -hmm. And so that's a direction that I wanted to move towards just because I haven't seen a lot of examples of trans people in the future. And I don't mean like in the future like 3,050. I mean, like... To, like next week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For like sure. being 50, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Are there trans writers that are kind of guiding you in this new direction in your work? Sure, or maybe t- artists. T- yeah, artists are. of other, you know, in other mediums as well.
2: One project I think about a lot is the Museum of Transgender History and Art, um, <laughs> which is a project of Chris Vargas. Mm. And he's an artist and he sort of created this fake but also a real trans art and history museum. Mm -hmm. And I think a a lot of the point of the project is to illuminate the ways that trans art and history and culture aren't valued Mm -hmm. and aren't preserved and aren't shown. Mm -hmm. Just the idea of like imagining a museum that holds trans culture and a museum that is run by trans people Mm. and features all trans people has been really transformative in thinking about trans Mm. futures because museums right we often think of museums as these holders of history so the idea of a trans museum has has been really radical Mm. to me Mm.
0: every one of your projects sort of does something in trans writing that i haven't really seen a lot of i think about your first full length that hybrid collection um and how that was just a really gorgeous uh distillation of community and i think You've always kind of been on this trans future ship, even maybe before you were, for real, for real. I'm wondering, just maybe a couple of examples, what what has your trans liberation look like so far? Because I, I don't know, I know my liberation has been about like sort of the tiny liberations along the way. Mm-hmm.
2: On a personal level, very small things have made dramatic changes mm-hmm. in my life. So things like changing my name, Mm. things like changing um, my haircut, changing how I dress, changing the places where I work, changing the doctors that I see, Mm. changing the students that I'm teaching. Mm. In all areas of my life, I've tried to find queerness or queer spaces, and that has been really hard, but also really rewarding. Mm. I think on a larger level... Very, like, simple things like being able to walk down the street without being harassed, mm-hmm. to grander ideas, to, like, the abolition of police and prisons, mm-hmm. um, having trans curriculum be part of our schools at, like, an early age. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until college that I even heard the word trans, really. Same. And that's unacceptable. Yeah.
0: I like that this book feels very up front in its directives, mm-hmm. um, and it knows exactly what it wants to say. And the poems have sort of a like deceptive air of simplicity in that way. What made you sort of want to say the things exactly as they must have been said? Was there an impulse for that? Did that feel like a natural way that the poems sort of found themselves coming out?
2: Yeah, I think there's no other way that I know how to speak. And I think my mm-hmm. writing has always been the place in my life where... I'm able to be most direct. Mm. Certainly in my day to day, I can't always be so direct um, to all the different like cis people that I encounter. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I really wanted to do with this book was talk back to cis people. Mm. And instead of just talking about all of the ways that I've been hurt, which are important and which people need to know about, also talking back to them. Because I think there's not a lot of times when we see trans people critiquing cis people in public Mm. or in art. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm interested in. What does it mean to speak back to cis people or like what motivated that impulse? I mean, most trans people live their lives from like the most minute of details to larger decisions based on cis people's ideas of what transness means so like Mm -hmm. whether you're trying to access medical care whether you're in a court system and like have a cis judge whether you know there's so many times on a daily basis where the norm is for trans people to be told what transness means by cis people Mm -hmm. and so one thing I'm really interested in is Trans people just talking with one another Mm -hmm. and finding other trans people in their various fields. And one thing that is part of this, like, imagining of trans futures is thinking about all the areas of life from, like, the supermarket to, like, the bus driver. Like, imagining trans people in all those roles Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. that would just change trans people's lives Mm.
0: Mm. that's beautiful
1: yeah lately i've been trying to think about or over the past like year or few years or so i've been trying to like kind of pinpoint what like a korean poetics is for me what Mm. a queer poetics means for me what a femme poetics means for me and so i i guess i wanted to ask you about like transness operating on the level of poetics and on the level of craft in in your work
2: yeah i think so much of my writing comes from a realist and direct perspectives, sort sure. of like we were talking about earlier. And I think for me, that's because so much of transness and trans history and trans experiences have been so coded mm. and so hidden and such a journey to find or to identify with. And so one thing that I'm really interested in doing is being very clearly mm-hmm. Trans, right? And one thing that I found is even no matter how many buttons I wear or no matter um, how many times the word trans is in a poem or what have you, people are still constantly on a daily basis misrecognizing me, right? I just want people to be able to find my work who needs it. I don't want them to have to have this sort of lens of, was this trans? Was this not trans? Maybe it's Uh a little bit trans. I think this is really trans, but I'm not sure, right? There's so much of that work that I've done reading or just consuming other media. Mm -hmm. I want to be clear, right? Like I'm certainly not hiding anything. And I think something that happens and that sometimes people mistake is that clarity or that directness means that you aren't interested in craft or you aren't interested in metaphor or you aren't interested in any sort of poetic form. And I don't think that that's true. I don't think that concealing your meaning makes your work more poetic. Mm.
0: I totally agree. And I like that because I think it's very Revolutionary, at least in like my, some of my understandings of trans poetics, where I think it has been a lot about, or at least I think in this moment, there are a lot of folks who are interested in that obscurity, who are interested in illegibility, Like it, challenging illegibility, yeah, challenging. And right. I think, and I think that's one manifestation of how to bring transness into poetry, sure. right? Is to even yeah. think about like, okay, if transness is going to be illegible to a larger world, then how can the poem also become closer to that? But. I love what you said about, like, you know, the people who need to find your book. I think you talked about cis people being a very, a very much an imagined audience um, for this book. But I'm wondering who, across the swath of your work, you imagine as your reader. And I guess, you know, what do you want them to, to know about themselves, about you, about the world?
2: <laughs> I don't imagine cis people reading my work at all.
0: Work. Okay. I like it. <laughs> in,
2: in fact, I have encountered very little feedback that cis people have been reading my work trans people are always my prioritized audience Mm -hmm. especially other trans writers and Mm -hmm. trans poets but I think especially like trans young people so many of us are writing for the younger versions of ourselves Mm -hmm. and I didn't pick up A book that was explicitly trans, you know, until probably I was in my 20s. And that's damaging, right? And I think so much of, especially working in a bookstore, I, on a day-to-day basis, see the transformative power of literature Mm -hmm. and see so many young people, especially queer and trans young people, really desperate for literature and books that speak to their experiences mm. and there's just not a lot of that mm. right like it's really important to like include just younger trans folks in into my practice into my
0: work i think that's important you know i think we forget about that or it's easy to forget about that as poets i think especially since we're in a genre where the overarching media-like idea is that nobody reads it anyway. It's easy to forget about young people. And also, I think in poetry, it's easy to start performing for other poets mm-hmm. um, and to kind of start performing for the field instead of, like, really paying attention to, you know, that we were all young folks that, like, needed poems that needed us as readers. I think about your work. I think about um, Sarah Kay's work. I think about even, like, Hanifa Durrake's work. There are, like, work out there that I think— are folks who have intentionally or unintentionally like a bright heart for young people going mm-hmm. on in the middle of it because and young being many permutations, right? Some right. of us are still young in our 40s coming into ourselves, right? And like we need-
2: Young at reading poems. Mm-hmm. Even,
0: yeah, young you know? at reading poems. Yeah. And you like, or just young and-
2: And like you're discovering who you who are. are. Yeah,
0: yeah you sure. know, like I feel like I'm hella young. I'm adolescent in some ways about myself. And I wonder if- if directness is what youth needs.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many direct messages that they're getting that are explicitly <laughs> heterosexual, mm-hmm. explicitly gendered, mm-hmm. right, in a binary way. They're getting so many messages on a daily basis that don't allow them possibilities to imagine themselves in in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to limit those possibilities in mm-hmm. my work. One of my favorite experiences teaching was going out to this trans youth group out in like the Western, very conservative Christian suburbs mm-hmm. of Chicago. And there's this huge trans youth group of like 30 young people um, middle school high school I mean they're showing up to a trans youth group like they're already you know many of them while certainly they have you know questions and are figuring things out they recognize themselves as they should be there right like Mm -hmm. they should be at this trans youth group and reading my work with them and teaching poems to them and hearing the work that they're writing was absolutely one of the most gratifying Mm -hmm. experiences of my career. Mm -hmm.
0: I know one thing that you changed with my little genderqueer heart was the anthology that you edited, Subject to Change. And I think about that as like such a powerful tool towards like working towards this world that you're talking about. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like bringing together that anthology, maybe tell the folks who are a little bit unfamiliar with it and what, what has your editing and culling together trans voices taught you about your, about trans poetry, either for yourself or for the community.
2: Mm-hmm. Subject to change was an anthology that came out with sibling rivalry press. Um, it featured conversations as well as poems, mm-hmm. um, with five trans poets, Joshua Jennifer Espinoza, Christopher Soto, Beza Ozer, Kay Yolande Barrett, and Cameron Awkward-Rich.
0: Explosions, explosions, explosions.
2: Yeah, these were just, you know, (laughs) some of my favorite trans poets who I was reading. Hmm. You know, trans poetry is still a relatively new formation Mm -hmm. in terms of building a community. I think a lot of trans writers are, like, very disparate. And one thing that I have been interested in is building a community of trans poets and it has been incredibly rewarding and I think like literature right is one of the places where we go to in order to connect and to also you know find ourselves when Mm -hmm. you don't have like trans people in your town or you have like no trans teachers or no trans peers. Um, being trans can be incredibly lonely, and so I think building the anthology was one way for me to feel a little bit less isolated as a trans poet. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it just seems like just a really important project for claiming space in the archive, right? For trans voices to be part of like this history of this like literary lineage, which is like obviously like such an incredible, an important project. But I I also think that, like, that anthology always struck me as so, like, unique in its structure of not being, like, this, like, wide-reaching anthology of, like, trying to capture, like, this whole field, um, but, like, a really concentrated anthology of, like, a Mm -hmm. handful of poets and then also featuring interviews and conversations Mm -hmm. with them. Can you talk about, like, how you chose that structure?
2: Yeah, a large part of my work, I think, is just advocating for trans writers and trying to celebrate their work. Mm. And part of that for me was writing reviews Mm. and doing interviews and all of that because there's not a lot of coverage of Mm. trans writing and trans poetry in the literary world. And so I'd already been interviewing various trans poets and I realized doing that and going through that process was one of my favorite writing projects. Mm-hmm. It seems so integral to think about and to talk about trans poetics from like the perspective of poets who were emerging and not already established yeah. or who weren't necessarily institutionally affiliated. You know, they had all come out with their first books within about a year mm-hmm. of when I put together the anthology.
0: Wait, baza got a book?
2: Yeah, feel better. What? Chat book or what? A full length, yeah. Shut the door. Why <laughs> don't I have this? I, okay, okay. Wait.
0: <laughs> y'all continue talking. I'm, I'm ordering things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and like one, one of the great things, right, is uh, some people have come to the anthology because they knew some of the writers in it, right, but not right. all of them. And it's been really exciting to see people get excited about all the poets in the book. And especially, um, you know, so many people have, have shouted out Bezos' work as um, something that they hadn't encountered before. Mm-hmm. And that is really lovely and amazing to me to just see people discovering new trans writers who they didn't know about before. Yeah, totally. What did you learn as a result of like this process of putting together that project? That it's possible. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Troubling the Line was like such an important part of my life. Mm. Um the, the first trans poetry anthology, which was, you know, huge and full of, you know, like over 50 poets. I think one thing that I learned is the importance of... Relationships and relationship building, which was also a huge part of including the interviews. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is more intimate and something that is more in depth can really have a large impact. It just made me feel like there is hope for trans poets within the literary landscape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In just, like, a
1: five-person list, the aesthetic, like, range and diversity is so wide. But were there any, any commonalities that came up in, in that project?
2: Yeah, the discussion about home. Mm. Mm. I did an interview with this trans poetry podcast called Waves Breaking. And one of the things that they pointed out was how many times the word home appeared in the manuscript. Mm. Like you mentioned, all the poets have very different styles and, you know, come from different backgrounds and write about different topics. But one of the things that they all had in common was there talking about home, mm-hmm. talking about family, talking about um, their experiences of of homemaking? And mm-hmm. yeah.
0: How is home manifested itself in your work? I think it's present. It's definitely present in the work. What, so what yeah. does home mean to the HML poem?
2: So much of the chat book in particular and so much even of just my past writing has been about home, whether on a familial level um, of feeling excluded from this idea of a familial home mm-hmm. to how do you build a home mm-hmm. when the home that you come from isn't as welcoming or accepting as you would like. So I think I've been doing a lot of home building and trying to find a home in the world that is a little bit more respectful and welcoming mm-hmm. and inclusive of queer and trans people. And most of this chapbook is about the neighborhood that I live in now. Mm. And some of the poems are even based on like the same couple of blocks. Mm. I live in right like a a very gentrified gay previously lesbian neighborhood. And this is supposed to be a space. The gays are
0: gentrifying the lesbians wow. out here? Yes. Wow.
2: Yes. That is so weird.
0: Oh my God. I pre- I prefer lesbians. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for I real. Mean, but <laughs> um, yeah, the neighborhood where, where I live and work um, for a very long time was a lesbian neighborhood mm-hmm. and had a lot of women-owned mm-hmm. businesses over the past decade, you know, plus... Um, we've seen an influx of gay men moving into the neighborhood, and that has pushed out a lot of the women-owned businesses. That has mm-hmm. pushed out a lot of wow. lesbians, a lot of queer people, trans people. And essentially, Boys Town or Lakeview has has moved a little bit north as straights have gentrified uh, a former gay neighborhood, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's these cycles of of gentrification where mm-hmm. everyone is pushing everyone else out. Mm-hmm. And so my neighborhood is very gay, and... There are great things about that, and there are horrible things about that as as a trans person and trying to navigate that mm-hmm. so much of of the book is is about what it's like to to be a trans person searching for a home. Huh. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that word searching feels so appropriate, especially, you know, with the the book being titled On My Way to Liberation. Mm-hmm. Like being um Liminal. Yeah, that's like liminal or like 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 processural kind of like space, right? Like Ooh,
0: processural. I don't know. Oh yes, I think bitch. It's, I think
1: it's right. right? Yes, I like Percessural. it.
0: Processural. Yeah. It sounds like a it Let's sounds like a parade. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like s- salty with a sweet center, you know. I want a processural. <laughs> I like that. Love it.
1: Well, if it's not a word, uh, leave a review Mm -hmm. and leave a comment (laughs) and let let us know. Um, But can you talk a little bit about, like, maybe this idea of, like, being on on your way?
2: Yeah. The title poem of the chapbook is about my grandfather, who is a Holocaust survivor and who is still alive. Um, My grandfather, Pahawi. One of the interesting things, I think, about that poem in particular is... Having to go back in time and sort of rewrite my own family's history to feel like I not only have a place within my own family, but also am able to exist in the future as well. The poem is just about parallels between my grandfather's experience of uh, dressing like a girl, which is a, like a very trans act. It's about him transgressing gender norms in order to survive the mm. Holocaust and to stay closer to his mother and sisters in mm. particular and how there's a little bit of trans history within my own family. One of the dominant narratives of my family history is around my grandfather, is around the Holocaust. And I've been told these stories my whole entire life. But it wasn't until writing this poem that I was able to recontextualize the story, this little snippet about folks entering the camps. They separated them by gender. Mm -hmm. So to just sort of see this little element of of trans history within within my own family has been mm-hmm. very transformative mm-hmm. i'm often searching for trans history and it often is difficult to find mm-hmm. and rewriting that part of my family's history and thinking about it in a way that relates to me as a trans person my family has really changed how how i feel about my family and changed my relationship to myself as Mm -hmm. well.
1: You mentioned your, like, library work and Mm -hmm. archive work. Mm -hmm. Like, can you talk a little bit about, like, that sort of historical and archiving work that you have been involved in recently?
2: Yeah, so much of my time has been really just, like, trying to find trans art and trans culture Mm -hmm. and trans writing. And what I have found is that we're often not a part of the record Mm -hmm. Um, or we are marked in ways that aren't necessarily the terms that we would use to describe ourselves. So for example, I have recently been working at the Newberry library and I've specifically been studying protests in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So they have a Chicago protest archive where they collected signs from the women's March and the science March. Um, They have a black lives matter collection This recent ephemera, including a lot of signs, pamphlets, buttons, stickers, things like that, and this is this huge institution that's been around for a very long time, and they have you know, endless amounts of collections from Chicagoans. Like, speaking of home, I've often tried to search for trans history that is specific to Chicago and Mm -hmm. specific to the Midwest. And even just, like, typing in the word trans or transgender or even transsexual into their search forms has yielded basically no results. Mm -hmm. And having to use very outdated and offensive terms in order to find things that might be relevant is just a very strange strange experience. So, one thing that I'm interested in is right like documenting and talking about trans culture that's happening now mm-hmm. in Chicago and trying to talk about some of the projects that other people have been doing to reach back into the archives. Mm-hmm. There was a great exhibit recently that I wrote about called Lost and Found that was all about Chicago's dyke history. It perfectly describes and captures, right, like queer history, mm-hmm. um, this idea that it is often not preserved um, and lost to future generations, but mm-hmm. then also can always be found. Mm-hmm. Things may not be labeled as queer or labeled as trans or even labeled as gay, Right but there are certainly elements of gender and sexual transgression. There was a woman named Joan Jett Black who ran for office in Chicago, right? Like Miss Major was born in Chicago, mm-hmm. grew up on the South side, mm-hmm. right? Like there are all these people who are well-known or discussed about, but we don't necessarily know a lot about mm-hmm. them or, you know, their work hasn't been preserved because they haven't been seen as worthy of yeah. of preserving. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think about often about how, Language is always catching up to us, right? Who we can't see in history because the language didn't exist yet. Um, you know, I think about even a lot of like queer icons from the 70s who, under a modern lens, would be coded as gender not conforming or who might, you know, offer themselves to transist if that was like if that language was more available to them. I think about Cameron Acker Rich's work, right? A lot of um, his academic work ends up looking at like old police records of like cross dressers and stuff like that. But I love I'm really I'm like about to weep a little bit on the inside I hear you talk. Talk about this archival stuff because I'm just thinking about all the ways in which history frees us, right? Even though we are often bound up within it, Mm. it's hopefully you find those moments where you realize, like, oh, we've always been free. Mm. Oh, we've always Mm -hmm. been
1: here. To me, it feels very appropriate to like weep about something like that, just (laughs) because I don't know. Like, did you all all see like in the news recently, like this like huge museum, like a national museum, and in. brazil Mm -hmm. and like burned down oh so uh, yeah like just lost like a ton of stuff like not like art and specimens like animals and plants and fossils and like um a lot of indigenous art like photos that were like (laughs) you know like just just shit that like lived there (laughs) and were like really one of a kind or Mm -hmm. like you know some of the few things that have survived the ages and like people it is like a huge loss but i think i was like most moved by the like crowds of people who showed up to the museum, like, the next few days, like, just to, like, go and mourn what had been lost. Yeah, natural and human history that had been lost in, in this fire. This is one example of a bunch of history being lost in one go. But, of course, all of us are, like, mourning all of the history that's been lost in, like, small pieces over mm-hmm. the years.
2: Grief feels like a really natural response to that. Yeah. One thing I've learned, though, is... Often our history isn't institutionalized, True. isn't in museums. Mm-hmm. And actually talking to your elders, oh, yeah. finding places where you may not expect your history to exist is a large part of that search for me. Mm-hmm. And so much of queer and trans history is oral mm-hmm. and was purposely destroyed or excluded, right? Like, I think about the recent presidential administration, right? Like, taking the page of LGBT services off of their webpage. One of my main perspectives has always been just because you can't find something where you expect it or where it should be certainly doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. It just means that you have to do more searching and perhaps go down more nontraditional routes of finding information. I remember one of my Favorite experiences in a library was finding this anthology, Gay and Lesbian Poetry in Our Time. Mm-hmm. And reading through that book was such an education, right? Like, even while I was starting to be part of poetry workshops at that time or had been in writing or performing spaces, right? There wasn't necessarily Queer poetry or queer poets present or as present as they should be, especially ones who are more contemporary. And just finding that book was such an opening for me and was such a huge inspiration, especially for Subject to Change and for doing that anthology.
0: Yeah, I still have that joint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> many, many tears and cum stains in that book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
1: <laughs> I mean no. no. Alan Ginsberg
0: master. It is very yeah sexual book. Yeah, it is sure. yeah no yeah I definitely rubbed a couple of little fifteen year old out. Yeah, they were hot. I mean the first time I read American Wedding by Essex Hemphill.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, jacked off to a poem
1: <laughs> after maybe. I mean that's
0: two to me yeah I guess so the book was still open it was still, you know? it
1: was still <laughs> reverberating in your mind you yeah. know there's a, an, an Allen Ginsberg poem about that's just like a list of everything he's put in his ass maybe that didn't lead me on my way to orgasm but but it, perhaps it did I think it was just a very eye opening oh. and ass opening poem for me <laughs> an ass opening poem <laughs>
2: wow I wonder who who will come on my book
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you want somebody to come on your book
2: HMO <laughs> Whatever gets you free, (laughs) as long as it's harming no one else.
0: (laughs) So, H. H.M.L., would you do us the pleasure of blessing us with a poem?
2: Oh, love to. Mm -hmm. This poem um, is after a Jamal May poem called There Are Birds Here. My poem is called There Are Trans People Here. There are trans people here. So many trans people here is what I'm trying to say. When they say we are all trapped in the wrong body, imposter, impossible, no. We are on the bus next to you, in the cubicle next to you, in the checkout line, next to you. Some of us are sex workers, teachers, artists, nurses, homeless, unemployed, and hungry too. We are as real and complicated as anyone else, but they won't stop murdering, stop legislating, stop imprisoning, stop claiming we are ruining our countries, families, friendships, and futures too, when every day we awaken to build them anew.
0: Beautiful. I love that um, poem because in... uh you know, Jamal May's ver- version of that poem, There Are Birds Here, the here is so specific to Detroit, but the here is really exploded here into being an everywhere but also the body as a location, too. Yeah. I think about good afters um, and how we, like, take a poem and, like, you know, move it to a place that the poet before did not already move it to. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, and that, that like, repetition of the next to you is so mm-hmm. insistent, you know.
2: Yeah, I think people often don't realize that they're perhaps surrounded by trans people. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there is a statistic, and I have a poem about this too, that didn't make the cut. Um, more Americans believe they've seen a ghost than a trans person. <laughs> uh,
0: Jesus. Uh, if there's anybody who thinks that listening, um, I want to, I, 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 wow, uh, I have questions for you. Come on our show. Yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do a Let's Supernatural talk. episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I often think people don't realize that there may be trans people in their lives right next to them at the supermarket who are their neighbors or their coworkers and they don't realize it or they don't Mm. make the space Mm. for trans people to be themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So in conclusion, trans people, definitely real. Uh Ghost, questionable and it's probably just that you need to clean your house. (laughs) it's true oftentimes I think it's a ghost but it's really just the underwear I took off in the living room
1: yeah or just like a smudge on the window Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: a lot of (laughs) things are ghosts
1: can you tell us about something that you have encountered recently, a poem or a book or a piece of other media um, that has knocked you out, that's knocked your socks off or knocked you to your feet?
0: I like the idea of being knocked to your feet, <laughs> being like uppercut feet. in a chair and like now you're standing. And then now you're just
2: standing up. <laughs> I'm ready for my day. Yeah. Um.
0: Oh, that'd be an excellent alarm clock. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, there's a few things that I have been really excited about. I have recently been reading the work of Asado Saint. I don't know. I if, love Asado Saint. Yeah. I who that is. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of my dad's had the family is from Milwaukee, and I had been going there my whole entire life, tons of times throughout my life, never realized that there was a gay bookstore in Milwaukee. And so the last time that I went up to visit family, I went into this bookstore, and they had several of his books. Um, They had not only a collected version of his work, Mm -hmm. but also Um, the anthologies that he edited of black gay poets. Mm. And I had never heard of him before that. Um, I had read a lot of people who he was in conversation and community with, like Essex Semple, like Joseph Beam. And his work has been really reminding me the power of including politics in your work and having a voice that is very direct and not just direct but critical Mm -hmm. um, of the forces around you who are killing you. Mm -hmm. So much of his work especially is about caring for his partner Mm -hmm. as he died of HIV and AIDS and about the medical community and then also his own body and his own relationship to illness um, and to community. He wrote plays, he wrote essays, he wrote poems. Um, He really worked in a lot of different forms of, of writing. So that's been really inspiring to me. A more contemporary example is there's a new art book out called To Survive on the Shore, which is photographs and interviews with trans elders. And so beautiful. I read through that book and just wept. Um, I have read all of the interviews, looked at the portraits. There's several people who I know in the really? book. Mm-hmm. Um, That's there's a lot of Chicagoans in it, and the photographer, Jess Duggan, was in Chicago for for a while, doesn't live here anymore, knew a lot of Chicago folks. And just reading the stories of trans elders, made me feel both like i had a history and also a future mm. um there's not a lot of examples of, of trans elders or trans aging so often you're brought up not to think that you have a future mm. and so it really made me feel very possible it made me feel like i can get old <laughs> or yeah. older i can age mm-hmm. right like i can survive yeah. and seeing people that i know and that have been a part of my life and who live in my neighborhood even in this book it really made me remember that i do have trans elders in my life and that they have been guiding me and have been looking out for me. Mm. And that was a really important reminder. All
0: right, we have a game for you. The game is called This Versus That, um, in which we're going to give you two things, and you decide who would win in a round of fisticuffs, okay? Okay. Our fighters today are both um, people that are mentioned in the book On My Way to Liberation um, by H. Melt. In this corner, we have known American writer Eileen Miles. <laughs> and in this corner, we have known American hero Chelsea Manning, wow. who's winning in a fight.
2: I feel like Eileen Miles probably is a little bit scrappy. Mm-hmm. And death, you know has death, has, has sure. lived a life as a poet in New York which is certainly no easy mm-hmm. task. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, is is very queer and and has a lot of mm-hmm. queer tricks and moves. <laughs> And maneuvers, queer tricks, amazing.
0: You heard it here first, folks. Queerness is actually just a form of martial arts. It's a big,
2: it's a great big illusion.
0: <laughs> that is the agenda.
2: You know, Chelsea Manning also has survived a lot. Yes, um, was homeless, living on the streets of Chicago um, way back when, and survived. Suicide attempts while incarcerated Mm -hmm. survived solitary, survived the American media, Mm -hmm. which is no friend to trans people. Mm -mm. So I think I'm going to have to to go with Chelsea Manning. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Love you, Eileen, but... Military training. Eileen is ain't a no thing. hope. It's a fight. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it, it, it's a fight. It ain't no, you know, it's like two minutes long at least, which right. is a long fight. But <laughs> I mean, also, you know, Chelsea would
2: probably way. expose information and documents about <laughs> 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 Eileen Miles. And so there would probably also be a, some sort of huge oh, damn. scandal. Smear, that in happens. The smear a campaign. Smear campaign, yes. Oh, shit. Dang. Uh, Using I mean, the media against. Eileen, <laughs>
0: <laughs> dang to smack and smear at the same time. To
2: smack and to smear.
0: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thank you very much for um, joining <laughs> us and uh, lining on, on, on a on, on a fight that I would love to see on uh, on Celebrity Deathmatch. But um, oh, that's basically it would, it would, what this game is. But
1: it would also make, make me so sad and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, like, but like
0: oh, I don't know my, if we can't Im- if we can't imagine American poets like. You know, whooping ass or getting the asses whooped. And what can we really do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> where can people find you in the ways that you want to be found?
2: <laughs> yeah, on Twitter at H-Melt chicago, mm-hmm. on Instagram at HMELTShy and H-Melt com. The book is available via Haymarket. You can mm-hmm. get it from them or your local bookstore. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much for joining us. Thank
2: H-Melt. you. Thanks, y'all. Love you. Love you.
0: HML is so just powerful.
1: <laughs> yeah it's true and so direct and so certain about what they're saying it's so refreshing to, mm-hmm. to talk to somebody like that amen <laughs> in amen studio. amen yeah
0: you know, I'm still like kind of lingering on this idea like as moving towards something, like, yeah. something like conversation. yeah oh Freddie, what are you moving towards what are uh, you on your way to
1: oh doesn't have to be all the way positive right? no no no
0: no <laughs> you can be on your way to hell <laughs> God. Which, you know, in the long run is my narrative. Oh, listen,
1: wow. <laughs> if you asked my grandmother, perhaps that's what... Um, if I'm going to be totally honest, I think one of the things I'm on my way to currently is uh, white lesbianhood, Ooh. perhaps.
0: Whoa, okay, okay. <laughs> like,
1: like deep white lesbianhood.
0: Okay. What is white lesbianhood? Like what, are like, what are like three totems of white lesbianhood?
1: Well, for example, my partner okay. is teaching gender studies, and living in Northampton, Massachusetts. Got you. You know, okay? (laughs) Like, I got my hiking boots, Mm -hmm. I've, like, got my backpack, Mm -hmm. I've got... I taste the buckwheat right now. The other day, I was like, man, chacos are really useful. Do you know what chacos are? It's like those sandals that lesbians have that's, like, one strap across the toes, and then, like, one, like, strap around the ankle, you know what I'm talking about? That's, like, for, like, Mm -hmm. wading in a river, or, like you know playing acoustic guitar oh, I, just,
0: I, I just googled them these are some lesbian ass Right. Shoes. right oh yeah, the, yeah. Uh,
1: just the other day I was like man I gotta get a pair of Chacos yeah, man yeah these, gonna sh- these be really- shoes <laughs> are tear some pussy up i tell you <laughs> uh, 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 uh. but you know I'm like, I feel okay about like moving towards that I, because I know I'm not gonna get all the way there. Mm-hmm. Also because I think it's like movement away from white brohood. Okay. Okay you know, yeah. for me in yeah. my personal journey. Yeah. Of, of, wh- of my muscle. white gender. Yeah.
0: White Franny, we were looking for her. She's been here all along. <laughs>
1: She's been here all along. In here. In here. Um, what are you? What are you on your way to? Well, too, first of all, ask? I
0: just want to say that there is a pair of Chacos being sold um, Don't on chacos.com for $130, this. and I've never heard Anybody paid that much money to look that fucking ugly on their feet. <laughs> um, lesbians do better. This is calling you out from across the diaspora, girl. <laughs> uh, um, I think I'm moving. You know what I, what it is? You know, like honestly, like 2BH, you know, these episodes, we record them ahead of time. And one thing that's really been bugging me this weekend has been the passing of Mac Miller. Mm. Um and I think I'm I'm bugged out every time somebody dies from overdose because I, like, just to be, like, real folks, I've, like, struggled with addiction mm-hmm. and I come from a family that has struggled with addictive tendencies and mm-hmm. addictive personalities. And, like, I've always been re-investigating my relationship with that and I I think I hope what I'm on my way to is you know I don't know if sobriety like from all substances Mm. is for me you know I'm not giving up Moscato just yet Um, (laughs) but I hope I'm on my way to clarity what really I hear when I hear about the term sobriety is like just having like enough clarity to dream Mm -hmm. in a real way you know and like make sure that my my dreams aren't even muddied by the substances that I'm taking into my body and so I'm just trying to you know make it towards that way
1: it's been inspiring Um, honestly to see the ways that you've like put energy into clearing some real distractions from your life. Mm -hmm. And I just like, you know, I love you, girl. I love and I you wanna too, girl. like support you in that and help hold you accountable to mm-hmm. your own desires for clarity well, and stuff too. You will, know? You, will you touch my hand yes, right so, now? Yeah, okay, cool. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. All
0: right. I'm gonna go uh, talk to my therapist instead of our audience. So maybe <laughs> we should uh, do some thank <laughs> yous and get on out of here.
1: <laughs> yes. Who are you trying to thank today, Denez? I
0: am going to thank Serena Williams. Yes. And I'm gonna thank Naomi Osaka too, yeah. because you know, just two black women standing their stuff, you know, white people stop ruining our moments. I hope both of them are just somewhere eating chocolate and feeling rich um, yes. and you know the way Serena stood up for herself the way it's like the black woman's burden to have to like mother both the competitor and the mother the audience and tell them to blue mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and I like it's I hate that she had to do it but I love that she is capable mm-hmm. um, and I hope like Naomi also like just takes this moment and just propels herself into the career that she deserves yes. because yeah so thank you to them too
1: yes absolutely I watched a terrible interview with Naomi Osaka today so I just I I just want to thank all of the journalists, sports writers, everyone who is going to be taking the story and doing it right and telling mm-hmm. that history right of what mm-hmm. happened and how it should have gone down mm-hmm. and making sure that the record is totally clear that those two are fucking heroes. Mm-hmm. Okay. You treat these black and Asian women right motherfuckers. Yes, treat them right. Yes. And we would also like to thank the Poetry Foundation especially our partner in crime Idelmi Noriega. Um, we want to thank Post Loudness. We want to thank our producer Daniel Kisslinger.
0: Please make sure you follow us on all social media vs the podcast on all forms. If you're listening to this, you're listening to this uh, but but tell your friends that they can listen on you know on soundcloud on apple Podcasts, on the poetry foundation's website if you like what you're hearing um and want uh, more people to hear about it or just willing to spread the word please 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 go to apple Podcasts and leave us a review and uh, is that everything
1: yeah i think that's everything all right cool. y'all
0: have a good day <laughs>
1: tuesday wednesday, wednesday whatever day, day you're didn't.
0: listening to and we'll see you next time y'all